All right. Welcome to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast. I am joined today by a full selection of individuals, which makes me so proud. Uh, we have Joe April. Hey, Joe. Hey, everybody. We've got Ted Newbel. How's it going, Ted? Hey, pretty good. We got John Rosenthal. Hey, John. Hello. And we have the infamous Langdon Hickman. Hey, Langdon. I'm still the Buddha, by the way. Not, not the <laughs> Joker? It. We are. What? No, no, I got better. I got better. <laughs> He's the Buddha Joker, and that's where... <laughs> Nietzsche said to go over, one must go under, and so I had to become the Joker in order to become the Buddha. <laughs> My God. And that's where we land here on this actually quite unusual and special episode of the podcast, because, A, we have five people. Um, this is more or less uh, who runs Invisible Oranges. Uh, it's not everyone, but it's most of us. And... Um, I think we're gathered here today to really spend this episode discussing something that we almost didn't want to discuss, but really have to. And it's best to discuss when we're all here. And that's genres. And we hear fireworks and explosions going off in the background. Fuck! Genres! Fuck! Because we have people here with very... I wouldn't say... Antagonistic opinions about genres. Oh, I would not necessarily <laughs> not necessarily complimentary opinions on genres. But Dog, uh, we've had fights break... over it. <laughs> if people could see we've the actually... edit comments on articles before they get published, they're straight up like, <laughs> "Bro, shut the fuck up!" And it's like, "I'm your boss." <laughs> we have actually we've shot each other to death many times. We have a work cross though. Uh... Dear, dear Martha, I don't know when this war will ever end. I've been on the battlefield for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what's interesting about the war is that it's not necessarily a war. It's a we're watching the engine work of us understanding music. And I think genres play a critical role in how people classify and understand music. And this plays especially well into heavy metal, which is famous for its large tree of subgenres and genres. Um, I wanted I don't want to take over this with a huge monologue on genres, as I'm sure we'll flesh all this out in conversation. But I wanted to point out a key moment uh john and i go way back uh you know <laughs> what can you say <laughs> he got know. me into invisible oranges to start with and now john along with ted help run it i've let go of the editor-in-chief role uh to ted and john if you didn't see the, the news post on that um but uh one thing I wanted to mention that was really critical in my understanding of black metal of all genres um, was when John pointed out to me, there's a clear difference between what I think many people consider post black metal as it is and actual post black metal, as John was describing to me um, bands like Flurity, if I'm in, not incorrect, right? You're right. He points at me and says, right, yep, uh, that represent what he considers to be the real quote-unquote post-black metal, whereas the term actually got co-opted by this sort of post-Rockian black metal that it sort of borrowed the term from post-rock and then attached it to black metal, and then now we have post-black metal, but we also have black metal that really, I think, honors what it means to be post-something. Now, we're getting into the genre conversation. Oh, That's the whole idea of this episode. And John... Before anyone else talks, I know people are probably in their minds thinking right now, what the fuck? <laughs> Post-black metal, blah, blah, blah. John, let it rip. First off, Andrew, it is a war. I just want to make that abundantly clear. <laughs> the genre wars are real. And I'm anti-war, uh, but we'll continue. Oh, you fight this war. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so. Scripted, coward. 
Let's talk about the second wave of black metal. And so we have bands like Redacted, which I can't talk about. And we have bands like Mayhem. <laughs> and uh, the, so we have the second wave of black metal, which took thrash and a bunch of other things and reacted to it and made minimal, despondent, aggressive kind of music where we have a blaze in the northern sky as a really perfect example of that. But as around 1996 rolled around, everyone was done with that. I mean, you had Mayhem making Wolf's Lair Abyss. You had Flurity, who had created something really weird in 1995, Ved Buenzende, who had been weird since 1994, etc. And so we end up with something that goes beyond black metal while still being part of it. Um, and it takes me back to a review of an album called Hex by a band called Bark Psychosis, which was the first real instance of the word post-rock, which was loosely defined as a rock band using rock motives to make something that wasn't rock music. Simple, but really, really, really loose. And we have that applied to black metal where we have electronic influences, weird chords, a general prog air, as Langdon would say, because prog is wonderful. And uh, so we have something different and reviewers called it post black metal, much to the chagrin of the artists. They hate it. If you were to talk with Sein Egelhatlivik or his vice from Flurity, he would say, fuck you. Don't say that. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, uh, people listen to the press for some reason. And so people like us have power and we can define things. And so we have post black metal. And that was, when I first got into black metal, that was my understanding of it. Bands, black metal bands, making something that wasn't black metal, but still was kind of. And uh, it was around 2007, I guess, when um, Alceste had released uh, Souvenirs du Notre Monde. I hope I said that right. Uh, and that's when I started seeing people use the term post-black metal entirely differently. Uh, melding post-rock and black metal in a portmanteau together. And, of course, 17-year-old me was like, no, that's wrong, don't do that. But, of course, it was catchy, it worked. So, my dog is barking, I apologize. Um, so, it moved onward. Uh, and even though there are terms like black gaze, which refers to shoegaze and black metal together, maybe in a more tilted towards shoegaze sort of way, post-black metal still remains like the king of all these genre talks. And uh, I firmly stand in favor of Ved Buenzende as being post-black metal, but that's just me. So I wanted to kind of open the floor to everyone else and see, you know, what are your thoughts on the fluidity of genre and everything like that? My first input is that it's not all sets. It's not all sets fault. No, of course not. That, Yeah. But I think a lot of people say they point to all sets as like, Oh, you know, that's post-black metal. Like, and that's the sound that I think a lot of people now associate with that term, but I don't think they really intended to dis be as a disruptive force as maybe they were because they're not really interested in nomenclature and stuff. They're interested in making music. Um, I mean, I'll leave it there. Having spoken with Stefan or Nej or however you know him, um, he certainly doesn't care about being connected to black metal at all. He feels that all the harsh elements of his music are just outpourings of his shoegaze and post-punk uh inspirations with his black metal background kind of in the background so i totally agree with what you're saying that it isn't his fault that people are using these genres 
in, I don't want to say an incorrect way because genre is fluid, as I said earlier, but it's still, it has two meanings that are very different from each other. Mm. I think being a good music journalist means understanding those different meanings at the same time. And Langdon, you're probably going to do exactly just that right now. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, so this actually reminds me a lot of the, um, so I was having this conversation actually with a coworker at my day job today. There is um, a parallel thing that happened with emo music um, in what would have been our teenage years. Uh, so like early 2000s, where for people our age, if you weren't plugged into like super underground music, you get told, oh, there's this new thing that's it's emo music. And you get shown, you know, Taking Back Sunday or Say a Sin or um, early My Chemical Romance or things like that. And you're like okay, why is it called that? And someone gives you a little description, then you play some music and you're like, okay, I hear how that description describes what I'm hearing and how what I'm hearing is different from things around it. Okay, I get it. That term makes sense. And then someone a little bit older comes along and hears you and it's like, what the fuck are you saying? Emo's like Orchid or Rites of Spring or Fugazi. What are you talking about? And you're like, I don't know. I'm just, this guy just said. Then a third guy walks up and he goes, what are you talking about? Emo is like, uh, you know, early Jimmy world or the get up kids or, and you quickly, or then, you know, fourth guy comes up and it's like, no, it's slint in American football. And you wind up having these, uh, multiple conflicting models for exactly the same term. In, in this instance, we don't even have, uh, didn't have something as easy and neat as like first, second, third wave until, you know, quite a bit later when you sort of were forced to have one. It reminds me of that that consistent push that winds up creating particularly um, troubling angles when you're writing about music to satisfy legibility on all fronts. That's sort of, that's sort of the thing that always sticks in my head is, is not necessarily what can I say that will be accurate, but what can I say that people will understand when I'm trying to communicate about this? And sometimes it's a riddle that doesn't have a clear answer. Yeah. It's, there's like a longitudinal, there's a longitudinal element to this whole thing. And that's like, it's almost generational. So if there's um, a sect of people who understand a sound that we can call a constant by a certain word or a certain term or a certain phrase, that sound moves on. It retains some of its prior characteristics, but it continues on. It develops, but there's a new generation to inherit both that new sound and the one that precedes it. And thus the term for it, might change it might not but you almost have this is where we get the phrase old guard in in heavy metal it's like the old guard of heavy metal that that defend not that iron maiden and classic heavy metal bands need defending but it's like the ones that we sort of separate ourselves in the ones that don't like the new stuff and the people who like new stuff don't like the old stuff and that's just not true of heavy metal fans i don't think like I think most people like old stuff and new stuff. And, but we, we have this, this, that's where genres get torn and and ripped apart is on this generational divide between eras of people who like certain influences in music as they appeared in the nineties and disappeared into the two thousands and reappeared or whatever happened. I don't know. Generations genres. Like there's a huge tie in there that really makes it more complicated than maybe it should be. I do think, I mean, if we take it to people well older than us, um, I mean, I've definitely known people who like grew up in that 80s era um, 
and probably thrash was the furthest extent of extreme that they got into. Like never got into black metal, never got into death metal. Um, and, and maybe there's been some crossover with like something like Arch Enemy or something appealing to that crowd. But I, I, there's definitely some people who I think don't get into some of the newer stuff we would all think is uh, essential. Or, um, I did want to comment, though, about what John was saying with black metal and kind of this division between what had been considered post-black metal and then what became really kind of a post-rock influence. And I th- I'd heard John mention this before, and I thought it was very insightful because I, I guess I would compare it to like what Floridi and also along with that bands like Arcturus or Borknagar were doing is that it's sort of a comparison to what happened with punk becoming post-punk um, where you get stuff like, you know, uh, obviously even, you know, uh, Johnny Ron um, starting pill after the sex pistols and stuff like that. Um, you know, in it, it, it was that it was a little more arty. It was a little more progressive. It was sort of, you know, the idea of like, we're going to take punk as a root, but then as the attitude still intact, but we're going to do all these different things that the rules of punk didn't seem to allow for. And I think that's definitely a comparison in black metal where a lot of bands just started wanting to write more complicated music. Um, and then just as he said, especially with Alcest, it became more of this post-rock influence. Um, and partially I think, Deaf Heaven getting as big as they did was partially a factor of that in terms of making people think of like, oh, well, what's post-black metal? Well, Deaf Heaven's post-black metal. Um, And it's peculiar because it's not like the like post-punk side of what black metal did has disappeared. It's still there and there's still bands doing music like that. Um, So it's a weird place where that kind of music is because it seems like... uh, still kind of undefined and, and still a lot of confusion. In, a fascinating in um, a fascinating tension that I see in that a lot is specifically, um, and, and John and Andrew and I have actually talked a lot about this specific topic, um, how bands often try to run a middle ground. And d- depending on the band, where they land for a middle ground is going to be in a different spot. But between the two poles of iterating on a genre and creating like original work, like with a capital O, like like not trying to be bound up by the past, but trying to make something new. Um, and I mention that because this this becomes a hot topic, less so with people who are listening to music. This sort of becomes a natural and intuitive way to situate bands. It's like, oh, this reminds me of X, Y, and Z band or X, Y, and Z record or this period of music. Um, but for artists themselves, they tend to be a lot more touchy about that for, I think, obvious reasons. You know, you don't want to live in the world of comparison. But that's where you get things like someone like Flaherty thinks of themselves as a black metal band. They're like, we make black metal. Maybe we make black metal that's weird, throws in stuff you weren't expecting. But the first wave of black metal threw in stuff you weren't expecting, and so did the second one. Like, that's not out of the ordinary. Meanwhile, other bands who maybe make things that we would more intuitively go, that's a black metal record. That's not even a weird black metal record. They're like, no, I'm a hardcore band, because that's how I think of myself. I'm thinking about hardcore. I'm making hardcore. Um, And I think that becomes... A fascinating tension as well that the the re the image of 
uh, genre becomes very different for the band making a work, a critic who's attempting to situate the work in some kind of loosely academic way versus a lay listener who may take it in as like a third completely different thing. And none of them may actually agree with each other, especially in necessarily a fruitful way, but all of them may be saying true or insightful things about the work in question, which I, I don't know. I, I find that shit fascinating. I think Langdon, what you're describing is like the, almost the engine of how, how bands might tailor their music to fit what they would expect listeners to hear. Let's, let's, leave it at that but let's say that like maybe that's a subconscious thing maybe that's maybe as maybe as music creators ingest what they know about subgenres and other artists making work in and out of those subgenres maybe they've embodied some sort of framework that changes the way they create their own music um not to say that creating music is anything like a political or strategic move other than just making what you think is good music but it redefines the framework people have around their minds on what is death metal? What is black metal? What are these subgenres of these areas and how do they interact with each other? Like people who write music are also involved in the scenes that, and the spaces that discuss music and digest it and dissect it. And I think that's a really cool tie in is like how the engine sort of feeds itself. You know what I mean? This leads me to a question I want to pose to everyone. I'm going to give a little bit of evidence before I ask the question. This is about black metal. So on Dark Medieval Times by Satyricon, there are riffs in seven. Bands generally played with dynamics a lot. When my dad would listen to music, he would say, that sounds like Gentle Giant during some of their acoustic interludes. And you have this general sort of reaction to music, which leads me to ask the question, is second wave black metal progressive? (laughs) Right? Right? Maybe like 70% of it was. I mean, there's the conservatism of the, the adherence to style, but the style itself was so nebulous that you could do so many different things with it. And a lot of things did happen. Yeah. It, it's funny say because that Black- we actually... Go, go ahead, Langdon. Actually, go ahead, <laughs> we, Langdon. Yeah. We actually only got the iterative and conservative image of, of black metal musicians and black metal fans from, ironically, people making music around the same time as, like, early uh, Solifold and... Um, Uh, Flaherty and things like that, where it looked like black metal was ebbing away into this weird space that if if for all of us who know our history of black metal was the same thing that kind of pissed off the early creators of black metal about what death metal and thrash were doing. And so then you have this one wave of people going like, no, let's calcify the second wave characteristics that we heard and let's make that black metal. Meanwhile, the bands themselves, like to John's point, the bands who founded that sound to a one, they all moved on to weird and progressive territory. Like when the most conservative band of them is Dark Throne, like that's not an especially conservative musical scene. It's almost like watching two Venn diagrams intersect and then retract from each other on different paths, still... but they intersect the same space at the same time for a they're, brief they're... period of time. They're... There's a um, there's a a filmic or like a maybe a an Im- uh, a reference in photography that can be useful here, which is genre sometimes as it gets made is a picture that's given to us, and there's a field in the picture, um, as in like a background. There are objects and a scene in the picture. There is a tone and a timbre to the picture. There is a frame to the picture. But then 
Every person afterwards, including the person who took it, goes, ah, the root of this picture was this lens that I used. And everything I take with this lens is that. And someone else is like, no, but you took a picture of a tree. So all pictures of trees are the same thing. And some guy's like, it had an oak frame, though. We're not discussing the oak frame. And this becomes useful when thinking about, especially as conflicts arise, when a bunch of people are like, no, that's not a death metal record. That's a hardcore record. Is is that sense of uh, it, it's almost like the the blind men describing uh, the elephant problem. It's like um, no one is necessarily wrong about what they're pulling out here, but the the one the one magical thing about genre, as opposed to these firm fixed things that I brought up, is that. Genre, by not being a physical thing, can actually change its shape based on someone going, well, I thought punk was just the attitude, so now I bring that attitude to electronic music, and I'm birthing a new thing, but in my mind, this is an inheritor to punk. And someone's like, well, I'm playing garage rock, and that's closer. Um, There's the magic of genre, is that it's not a stipulation or a guideline written by some authority it's literally the generation of our opinions on music it is literally especially with twitter and facebook social media in the in, oh, J- john's waving his finger he's very upset about this john's hungry. We're going to continue and that that genre <laughs> you, you can't avoid this john's a musicologist i'm a sociologist They're, we're gonna have very different opinions but um <laughs> Genre as it evolves is is a construct of the language and of, of the communication that we share socially. And I, I like that because it allows for the fluidity that we experience in genre that we actually attribute a lot of our appreciation to music to. And that's the fact that bands can change genre and genres can change genre and everything seems to be moving and whatever's on the definition of anyone's uh, tongue tip at the time. John, offer your counterpoint, please. Counterpoint. Uh, when I went to music school, genre was a set of rules that uh, you would tick check boxes and make. And obviously, academic genre is nowhere near what we're discussing. And Ben Handelman also made a really good point that it's also inherently uh, privileged since I had the privilege of being able to go to music school and learning this language. But good point. It's a good point. But it's not wrong. But genre, as it is classically, is something that's based on a song-by-song basis where you could look at specific uh, objective things about this, the music and be like, this is what this is because it is that. So you end up with songs that are like, well, this is a, a ternary form leader uh, or a ternary form lead, I apologize, uh, with text painting and serialism and you'd be like well what in the hell is that is well if we were to look at the song it'd be in three parts one two three ternary and then you have text painting where like if someone says like in the rain fell and there's a cascading set of notes that would make it sound like rain falling and the serialism of course is the practice of using all 11 chromatic notes in succession without repeating until you start again and that's objective looking at music based on classical music rules and that's what genre is from an academic point. But I digress. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> um, as an extreme example of the opposite of that, I feel like um, something I've seen recently is that a lot of times people will refer to um, Bolt Thrower as war metal because that's what the lyrics are about. 
which uh, I think is a kind of modern way of completely missing the point of genres. <laughs> yeah, that, that is an el- that is an elite tier fuck up. <laughs> Actually, that that's that's a really good point. That's like that's a sharp point. I really like that point. <laughs> and on and on that note, I, I, that's definitely something I've I've noticed where, and it relates to black metal as well. In that I've seen discussions in black metal death metal fan bases where. Because a lot of people insist when it comes to black metal, it's not just the musical characteristics, that lyrics do matter. And if they go too far in one direction or another, it's not necessarily black metal. And I've seen people even argue that compared to certain bands, Deicide is more black metal than they are because of an adherence to sort of this, quote unquote, satanic ethos. Um so it's interesting, you know, in relation to that, you can get stuff like Bolter, where we know we think of war metal as pretty much anything that sounds like blasphemy and continues on that musical kind of legacy. But at the same time, you will find people who will think of, well, war metal should be metal that's about war, which Bolter is usually the first band that comes to mind. And that's purely more of an lyrical and an aesthetic choice in a visual aesthetic choice rather than anything having to do musically. Right. That's a good point. That's a really sharp. Yeah. This, I, I think weird how our, 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 our world of genres that as we exist as people versus critics or journalists, it encompasses that even though there's a bit of falsity to that, there's a bit of falsehood there. This um, I think hits I, a, yeah. a fascinating angle where if, if John has a musicologist's angle and he has other angles as well. So not, not to put it oh, too yeah, tightly yeah. in a box there, but he does have that grounding and it's like undeniable, you know, got a degree in everything. And Andrew has a sociological grounding, which has this other different kind of approach. Um, I have a third one, which is like studying, studying literature and coming at studying, uh, studying music the way that I learned to study like films and novels and poetry and things like that, in which um, something like the aesthetic winds up being just as important because ultimately sonic design is another fancier kind of aesthetic. And there are certain assumptions, at least from the perspective that I hold that firm fixed musicological components of a genre, while not unreal, like they're clearly real, they're clearly important sit on an equal playing field with like, well, the mood that say a cosmic black metal band wants to evoke and the realm that they want to live in is very different from mayhem. I don't think that I, I don't think that's controversial. I don't think anyone's going to think dark space and mayhem, both being black metal bands, like go right next to each other. Um, John is holding up, I believe a dark space record. Yes. Might as well be. Um, uh, oh, uh, and maybe it's one of his own, uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty much dark metal. space. Um, but so this is where something like, and it gets poo pooed in certain circles, but I actually find that really fascinating and exciting about heavy metal as someone who's studied art, that things like lyrical and aesthetic concerns are actually considered on equal footing with everything else. Like that, I think is actually a really astute and intuitive way to understand things that like. These have weight that even if the sound is the same, the feeling is very different. If you're a speed metal band about Satan versus a speed metal band about drinking. Excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. We go back to a lot of this, like 
I, I don't want to use the word classical because metal hasn't been around long enough to have that kind of distinction. We're still in this very early period of musical development for this musical genre. But, you know, we had these distinctions that Joe brought up where lyrics define genre a lot of the time. Like early black metal was black metal because it was satanic and brutal thrash metal was brutal not only because it was more difficult and technical and aggressive but because it also dealt specifically with death and gore and mutilation and we don't really see that kind of distinction anymore as people make you know more judgments based on musical content rather than lyrics and we don't really pay attention to lyrics as much anymore so long as they aren't made by shitbags so <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know like What's the next change going to be? When are we going to start defining music based on different criteria? Uh, to wrap the post from earlier in discussion back in to now in the discussion, I feel like, I don't know, I just have these base feelings about all genres after over a decade of covering music and listening to a fuck ton of heavy metal. I feel like <laughs> black metal has always been post. I feel like black metal has always been has always been, if you compare it to the rest of metal, has always been post in that sense. It's always been a step ahead of what the, like, like people like Metallica because they like riffs. People like Black Metal because they like atmosphere. And atmosphere is like the, almost the definition of what we think of post, not the entire definition, but a lot of it. And um, I also think that that as we try to like think of what is the future of metal, like as far as genres go, I don't think that's really the right question. I think, I think, I think that's the wrong question for the answer that we're all looking for. I think the real question is like, how will we think about metal differently? Like what can metal be that it's already not? And like, I think, I think that leads into a bigger discussion. Go ahead. Th this also touches on interesting questions that th these uh, as as they're going to be phrased or maybe only interesting to people who write about music or give a shit about that <laughs> end, but they touch on something that I think is bigger. So we get endless uh, perseverating uh, in the realms of music writing and music critics and music editors talking to each other about two terms. It's only two. One is angular riffs and the other one jazzy chords this these yeah. are the two these God. wars have been fought blood John's has been shed. face just oh, but, you just see the something in that uh, i don't need to rehash it. the entire argument for everyone but i think that we fixate sometimes on those phrases and not necessarily what we're trying to convey and that's where mm. i think the obvious the middle ground between the two uh, warring sides there is one goes i get what you're trying to say but can you say it differently and the other goes if you got what i'm trying to say with the words that i used why do i need to change them which are uh, the, the war goes on but yeah. we get on things war, like Andrew. something becomes jazzy but not jazz because it's made to evoke the feeling of jazz, not the structures of jazz and this becomes again something that ties more into art as a sociological or psychological phenomenon. It's a thing we experience. And if you look at the material, you go, that's not a jazz chord. That's just the seventh chord. Those are in literally all music. That's You might as well call it a music chord. Um, but, <laughs> but things like if I play you a minor seventh chord in the right spot, 
the first thing you're going to think of, especially if I play it with a certain tone on my guitar, if I arpeggiated a certain way, you're going to go, Joe Pass. This is this is Joe Pass. I'm hearing Joe Pass. Even if it's in the middle of something that isn't. Um, I mean, obviously, the more that you listen to something like jazz, the more that you don't... Ironically, the closer you get to certain genres, the more blind you can become to them. Where someone can come up to me and be like, yo, listen to this great death metal song. And I go, dog, this is metalcore. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And they're like, no, dog. It's it's death metal. And they might be right, because this literally happened with early deathcore with me. And I was like, this is literally just metalcore. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Lo and behold, it's it's been Absolutely over a true. decade. I, yeah. I, I, I was wrong. It's it's a type of death metal. I, it turned out I was wrong. But we see similar things with the quintessential angular riff. You might better call it like a Voivodian or a King Crimson-y riff, where you have these like really jagged intervals. But... It, it touches on that thing of sometimes genre is meant to describe an evocation, and some of the gaps we run into are what happens when the person you're describing it to doesn't have that same evocation in them. So you're trying to describe how this music moves and how it feels, but they literally are experience, experiencing the same thing differently. And that's where I think, again, the, the musicological bit comes back in is useful because right. those things are undeniable you can point to them like if, if you chart out a song you go this this is there and we all agree it's it's there um i'm never i don't admit that i'm wrong because i'm not i'm the buddha i am enlightened <laughs> what but- i find interesting ted <laughs> as we mentioned our, our respective backgrounds between me you and john like like if you think of it as almost like a progression you have the musicological understanding that's john he understands that as it is formed by the artist and then you have um uh, a sociological understanding is how it's spread how it's disseminated how it's understood by people and then you have then you have the literature the artistic understanding where it's as individuals pick up this art as it's disseminated like there's we genre genre as a word is already an over oversimplification like it's there is so much going on behind all of this that it requires multiple individuals from varying backgrounds to even begin to make sense of it and i think that anytime we speak about genre especially as journalists but just as people who enjoy music we should always keep in mind like there's a lot to unpack when we associate things with one another like sometimes it's it it behooves us to be careful is my point so i'm going back to the previous point you made about changing the way that we think about metal and i'm not Mm. trying to like derail what you just said because that was very (laughs) insightful but i had this idea in my head we have (laughs) i love we have all to hear it (laughs) we have all of these bands who are pulling in various ideas and influences like mm-hmm. Langdon you were just talking about in our slack channel you were talking about Jukeite how he made like a 140 minute long song and you know that that brings up a good point about Jukeite where he's taking all these wild ideas and he's making black metal with it or Piron who's making death metal only it sounds like an amrep band because that's a thing now and what i'm realizing about metal is it's catching up it's catching up really fast. So we have Juke Guide, who's looking back to the 1950s, 1960s with early electronic music and weird ideas about melodicism. And then you have, again, Piron taking noise rock and turning noise rock into death metal. And so we have metal that is tentacularly grabbing all these influences. And 
you know, changing the idea of how we view metal is where is metal going to go? We have no idea because we've only have the current idea of music in our heads. So who is the next, who, who's the next artist that's going to be like, this is what metal is now. And how is the world going to react to it? And it's very exciting for me to think about, you know, in a musicological standpoint, and I'm sure for Andrew, it's going to be like, well, what the hell are people going to say about this? And how is that going to be disseminated? And what kind of ideas are people going to have about this music? And the idea of music evolving, especially now, because we've been stuck in the post-romantic phase for so long. <laughs> it is seriously like, yeah, our ideas of melodicism are based on romantic music and classical music, and that's it. Mm. But where does it go from here? And moreover, how is metal going to adjust? And that, to me, is super exciting. <laughs> that's awesome because, like, as a musicologist, John, you understand you're not. What people might misunderstand about a lot of us or some of us is that we listen to other music besides heavy metal. We oh, have yeah. a whole episode on this. John, clearly, he's got a foot everywhere there needs to be a foot as far as music goes. And it's interesting to hear someone's perspective on a metal podcast or on a metal site who can situate metal as just one genre among many. And even as a beacon, so to speak, for other genres – because it has special characteristics that help give, in, give on to, like, let's say, changes or evolutions, you know, because everything's interrelated, more or less. We even have, like, a fascinating um, – so this is something that's been sort of uh, uh, a bug up my ass for a while of <laughs> the uh, – a bit about the, the new metal revival um, mm. and oh, how – this is juicy. Well, I already like well, it. <laughs> it. Well, it, it, it becomes multifaceted. One, I think that we get – we get sold a bill regarding the new metal revival that one first truncates all of the weird, interesting angles that new metal had, because t it, I, I hate to say it technically rage against the machine was kind of a new metal band. Don't you they dare. Were, Don't you if they dare. Were, okay. If they were, they would be the, there's hot, hot they're, takes. <laughs> they're a rap metal band. They're fusing hip hop and heavy metal. I don't know what else to call that, bro. They're the let best one easily, but then no, let it fly because we let I, it fly because we love you. Yeah. I've seen I've seen this used, Landon. Would you agree that new metal was a child genre of alternative metal? Yeah, you get a little bit of things like Faith No More, Mr. Bungle, mm -hmm. Rage Against the Machine. You even even the early experiments of Corn we see all over heavy metal, not even just new metal. Like they've. Because we forget they were one of the ones who helped propagate seven strings and certain approaches to seven strings because they weren't massively commercially available and they really did help popularize them. But the reason why I bring this up is because some of the long shadow of both the wariness of new metal and the certain kinds of reappropriations and redevelopments. We get bands like Loathe, who um, I think I've seen lovingly described as Deftones core. And because of that, I didn't put on their new album until like well after 2020 ended. Blew me the fuck away. Absolutely incredible album. An instance where I should not have decided, oh, they say it's a new metal record, so I'm probably not going to like it. But that same wariness has led us, interestingly, no one uses the term rap metal anymore because we have certain associations with rap metal. And so when we get things like clipping or backwash uh, or horror, Groups that are 100 percent 
making rap and metal fusions. The opening track on the newest Backwash record, which won the Juno, by the way, absolutely incredible record. It's so good. It's um, yeah. open. It's a sample built around the song Black Sabbath. Like I, you really can't get more quintessentially heavy metal than than that song specifically. But I that's another like interesting shadow of kind of the long tail of the power of genre, because we've seen a lot of metal places, ourselves included, but we're not the only ones singing the praises of these hip hop records and going they have a place within the realm of metal. You know, these are absolutely in conversation with heavy metal aesthetics, with heavy metal sonic timbres, with heavy metal literally sampling heavy metal. But we're afraid to call it rap metal because we know what people will think when they hear that, even though it quite literally is rap metal. It's rap metal, yeah. Well, I mean, the well, it's interesting because it's like, well, there's always that question of like, where's the dividing line between certain genres? Like, what is the dividing line between rock and metal? And in the same way, I guess we could say with rap metal, like, where's the dividing line between rap metal or new metal and rap or hip hop that has metal as an influence? Like, is there a difference between those two things? It's almost like connecting two magnets, but just the wrong way around. It's almost like it's so close. All they just need to be flipped. It's like 40 and 60 and 60 and 40, you know. I I think it might be like certain what, what, you know, what musically is happening. Like, I think the one thing is the one thing about like rap metal is it's sort of like still the basic structure of a rock metal band. You have a drummer, you have a bassist, you have the guitarist, maybe, um, probably wouldn't necessarily be needed, but at least a drummer and a bassist, and then you'd have someone rapping. So if you have someone who's doing most of what would be like the bass guitar or drums through production or DJing, um, you know, is it, is it still a metal band? Like, is it a metal band if there's no you, no one playing a, uh, I guess you would say, acoustic instrument? Well, then if if we said yes to that, we'd get a number of black metal bands that suddenly aren't metal bands anymore. Because we have a number right. of metal, we have a number of metal projects that are made entirely through VSTs and drum oh, machines yeah. and made entirely on computers where they're playing guitar sounds, but they, there's no guitar that's recorded. Um, except when you're sampling for a VST. Yeah, you, re- so, you realize pretty quickly I, I, that genre is not something you define by the instrumentation that goes into making the music. But like, well, I think in a, a popular a- context, though, it, that's what pe- pe- people made uh, make a division between, like, you know, if you know, and let's say it's not hip hop or, or rap, but you know, we could say another type of music like EDM or, uh, you know, electronic or a variety of electronic music. Like if there is no, you know, no one uh, playing an instrument outside of something that would be a laptop or a keyboard, is it, is it, is it, is it rock? Is it metal? Well, so as much as, as much as one, I have an immediate, I have an immediate personal answer to that, which is yes, it matters more based on sound and feel and aesthetics. On the other hand, I think that you're touching on a real thing, at least on the sociological end, which, again, I think. As we brought up, that's that's a part of the wheel that we can't we can't ignore, even if we don't always agree with it, it is there. 
I think it, you know, in a hypothetical, if we wanted to do like a speculative genre designation, designation, if rap metal had never come into being and the first instance of those fusions happened on, say, a clipping record or on a horror record or on plucking something a bit more mainstream, but I still think fits the most recent Playboy Cardi record, which like is 100 percent playing with heavy metal sonics. I think we'd be a lot more comfortable describing it that way because we wouldn't have those sociological hangups. Maybe we'd have, you know, a couple pieces trying to convince people that like metal can be about a sound and an aesthetic or whatever, an an attitude um, that is commensurate with hip hop. But we don't live in that world. We live in the world where this other thing existed. This actually touches right back onto the issue of both black metal and post black metal of post-black metal describing a genre, a fusion of post-rock and black metal makes massive intuitive sense. The problem is that's a word that already means something else. Mm-hmm. And there's no easy answer to what happens when this same word is intuitively the correct answer for two different things, which I, I th- it, we, we want to resolve it, but the beauty of art and the, the, also the horror of art is it can contain contradiction because it's not a physical thing. Exactly. It's an experiential I, thing. And so I think sometimes it's just, yeah. well, that's fucked. <laughs> ultimately, we're at, the, we're at the connection between our cognitive, literal, rational understanding of the world and art, too, as part of the world, and the artistic message and the, the wording. So we're trying to connect two spaces, and always the coupling does not fit perfectly. Like Langdon said, you can have two answers to the same question. Well, I can tell you how black metal adjusted to the post black metal thing. All the post black metal bands. Let's go for it. Yep. All the post black metal bands are now called avant garde black metal, and that's just what happened. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's the that other interesting happen. twist in the whole thing. Is it's like <laughs> I always thought interesting. Black metal. Yeah, avant garde and progressive and post always get skewed in many places. Those three terms. So then. It makes you wonder, like, with an actual avant-garde artist like Jukeite, why they're called experimental. <laughs> it's just, like you said, these these this jumble of words that means the same thing that just kind of gets thrown around erroneously and hope that it sticks to the wall or something like that. And so you have experimental black metal bands like Doldrum or avant-garde black metal bands like uh, like Jukeite, who might be referred to in kind of an, uh, a reversed fashion. And, uh, it's, it, it is interesting seeing how people adjust to genre in the face of change. And obviously the change with post black metal going all the way back to the beginning happened 14 years ago, something like that. And it's stuck. And if you think about the length of time that the original post black metal tag existed, this is already long uh overstayed that so yeah. which is the right one i mean we have Here's we whichever have, one you want it to be <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of i mean really if if i think if you look at language it's it's funny it's like no entirely different study to to throw <laughs> into the analysis uh you could almost look at it like evolutionary biology um you know, what is the most successful and propagates the most becomes the one that, you know, 
bleeds on to the next generation, next generation, it becomes, you know, the the thing that people define it. And then that continually changes because, you know, essentially a form of natural selection is groups of fans and critics and everyone constantly in battle of what these definitions are. Um, you know, that's sort of the constant natural selection that's happening. Um, and, you know, so nothing, nothing is ever stagnant. Um, right. Because c- there's always these arguments that are happening. But certainly we can say certain ideas and certain um, concepts with certain of these words, you know, some of them survive better than others. Like, I, and I wanted, and I think this is a good segue to this, because I wanted to bring up, hopefully, before we ran out of time, which I think we still have a little we bit are, here. I'm, I'm a, close, close. Yeah. Look, so long um, as we're cooking, we can keep cooking. <laughs> um, well, what I want to mention is, like, you know, historically in heavy metal, there have been some very interesting incidents of, of two things in particular, where certain genres, like bands where we very much associate with certain genres, describe themselves as something entirely different. Um, like I was watching an old interview with Metallica and the interviewer was mentioning, didn't you guys used to call yourselves power metal? And they were like, yeah, well, you know, that was our demo back in the day and we didn't want to be like pigeonholed by thrash. Um, but yeah, we don't consider ourselves power metal now. Like, I think this was them being interviewed during the black album. Um, and then there's stuff like, which I think is very, and Langdon and I have talked about this with Judas Priest, how like a lot of bands from the 60s and 70s did not like being called heavy metal. It was seen almost, uh, slur isn't the right word, but something negative that they didn't want to be associated with. Um, a lot of the members of Black Sabbath, that was the case. Certainly people like Alice Cooper and others, like it wasn't maybe till the 80s where they got comfortable with the idea. Whereas like Judas Priest seemed to be the first band that was like, yeah, we're that. Heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah, that's us. We, we fit that. Um, and certainly bands like Led Zeppelin, I don't think any point in their career ever thought of themselves as heavy metal, even though people will put them, you know, alongside Deep Purple and Black Sabbath, sort of the beginning of it. Um, and in that, and then I'll end on this note and want to get your guys' opinions on this, but like another funny incident of this stuff is sort of, well, two actually. Um, if anyone knows the split, the death metal split, uh, yeah. which I think had Hellhammer <laughs> on it, but at the same time had freaking Halloween and, and running wild and running wild two bands that would go on to define actual power metal, especially the European variety. So it's, that is bizarre. Um, <laughs> and then also something like, which I find very interesting. Like if anyone watched the, um, the history of metal docuseries that um, what's his face did um, Sam Dunn. Sam Dunn, thank you. That Sam Dunn did when he did the grunge episode. There was a very fascinating phenomenon of all of, a lot of these bands could potentially and academically fit in under heavy metal, but almost none of them wanted to accept that. Like to them, it was like, no, we're not heavy metal. Screw that. We're not that. The only one that was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. was Alice in Chains. Like even most, even at least like half of the band members of Soundgarden, the interview were like, no, we were never heavy metal. Like, yeah, we like black Sabbath. We like Led Zeppelin, but that's just classic rock. That's just hard rock. It almost gets to a point where we realize that heavy metal is also 
I'm talking zooming out sociologically pretty far now. Heavy metal is part of DIY. It's part of it's part of people who God, it's hard to say. Not underground people necessarily, but it's part of people who live the life, so to speak. They work in industry. They work blue collar jobs. They. It's just you know you don't get. I mean, I guess you do, but it. And now I'm falling into like the, the capitalist class thing, and it, it opens up a whole book. I'm just saying that <laughs> heavy metal exists alongside grunge. It exists alongside these other sort of like these these sort of these these subgenres that were for people, not necessarily like the ones in the magazine covers. Which occasionally there's there's cross. Langdon, I think you wanted to speak. You know what I'm saying. I, th- I think there's a beautiful – this is this is where I revel in a certain power that I have. I, I revel in it. I absolutely adore it. I wield it like a scepter, <laughs> and I'm aware that I wield it, and I wield it mercilessly. Or like that, the Conan you know, sword. A band <laughs> like Soundgarden can lock – thank God Soundgarden wouldn't do this. Kim Thiel actually is a very big and vocal metal fan, and so was Chris Cornell. Um, but if they locked eyes at me and were like – Bad Motorfinger is not a metal record. Metal record. I'd be like, "Fuck you! It's a metal record, and I'm the guy who writes about it. So you can suck my dick." Like, so, so, so according this, to Langdon, bands don't decide genre. It's us. No. Well, so that's the thing is that I think we sometimes get into these weird conflicts of like, how can this writer? This writer's so dumb. They said this, but the artist has said blank. Yeah. When I think the easier reconciliation is okay, they disagree on how this thing is perceived. Like we. This gets at a funny thing about genre is that we simultaneously want to disavow it, but we feel ourselves constantly beholden to it to the point where there are these intense conflicts over – I'm obviously a big death metal guy. I'm not sure if you guys knew that. Um, really? But there's this, there's this massive fight in the world of death metal, and I saw it recently in a, in a Facebook group of like our bands like Harm's Way or Gulch or Jabalba death metal. And to me, I'm like, fucking obviously, dog, I like I hear a bolt thrower riff. That's a death metal record. And they'll go, no, they're hardcore. They're a hardcore band because they think of themselves as hardcore. They came up in hardcore. And I'm like, dog, I don't care what you think of yourself. That's a bolt thrower riff. Bolt thrower, death metal, equal sign. Um, But it does, again, it, it, we've touched on this a little bit before, even on this, that neither one of those is necessarily wrong. They maybe arrived at that sound by going, I love hardcore, I love these bands around me, but I'm trying to think of something to differentiate us, maybe something, a spice that really grabs me and gives us a sense of. And the funny thing that I find, specifically with the overlap of hardcore and death metal, um, and this has happened, obviously, in other subgenres of heavy metal with hardcore because punks and metalheads have a very contentious uh, relationship for two literal blood siblings um like the uh, the mc5 were both a punk band and a metal band um but motorhead yeah um but you get things like the the very birth of thrash metal and from that all of the other extreme metal genres was literally i like judas priest and dri what if I play them both at the same time? And so it, on one hand, it, it becomes like, does it matter if Gulch is a death metal band or a hardcore band? No. But it does tell you a certain thing. And this, again, touches on the sociological end. If I say they're a death metal band, that tells you how I am listening to them. Like the elements of their music that I am focusing on versus if someone says 
they're a hardcore band, that tells you that they are hearing a completely different set of things. Both are present within the music, but I'm muting one because I'm like, I don't really care about that part. Fuck riffs, yeah! Um, and what you're saying is, Langdon, there's, there's information, there's extra information there within very, what may seem like simple, like, oh, like if some guy says, I think this is death metal of this certain type, like, there's more information there than just that guy's opinion. There's actually that guy or person or, or girls or whoever's, that it's, it's almost their background helps form their understanding of what genre is and how it plays out. And I think the more we know about each other as a community, the more we know each other personally, like that only helps us understand each other better. And like, that's why I've always pushed for like to know your writers, know your journalists, know your readers, know, know these people like as best you can. Cause then you just have this bigger wealth and understanding of where all this music lies. I don't know that, that to me, that's what helps build my understanding of genre as it exists in other people's minds. It's just getting to know them as people versus as just like opinionators on Twitter, so to speak or whatever. So, so genre now is really different than genre was genre now has become the people's thing. Mm. Anyone can say, Oh gosh, my battery's low. I'll, I'll say this fast. Any, anyone can say this is death metal or this is hardcore. But back in the day when it was, you know, in the romantic era or the classical era, people just said, I liked music. And they didn't really say, you know, well, we're in the romantic era. They just said, I liked music. And genre was an academic thing that was attributed to songs. So now with genre, I think it's beautiful. Uh, like Langdon was describing, like Joe was saying, that um, anyone can say something is something. And they could be right, or they could be wrong, but most of the time they're right. Mm-hmm. Unless they're saying like, uh, wow, I really like that new Deicide song. Quite a- <laughs> <laughs> I really love that new Deicide song. It reminds me of Carly Rae Jepsen, let me tell you. But that would be wrong. I love the part, there was that one interview where Opeth called themselves power metal that made me not know what power metal was for two years. I'm not, I'm not lying. As a massive Opeth were- fanboy, I, I didn't know that Michael Ackerfeld had such a dry sense of wit. So he just yeah. says it during like a Fuse TV interview or, or Much Music. I think it was a Much Music interview. And I'm like, oh they're a power metal band i love power metal what the fuck am i listening to right now (laughs) (laughs) and that's how landed fell in love with blind guardian (laughs) there you go (laughs) power metal huh what's this thank you for listening you can subscribe to screaming bloody oranges the invisible oranges podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond. (laughs) 